0: Hi, good morning and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan and this is our sub-series, which we do every week, short takes and updates about sustainability topics that me, JJ Walsh and...
1: Yep, okay, so I'm Tova Kinoka, I'm um, a sustainability consultant based in Yokohama, just outside Tokyo.
0: And today we have a special guest who we are coordinating with for the very exciting March 21st Women's in sustainability. No wait we changed the name. Empowering Women in Sustainability in Japan conference. Uh, we hope to have a schedule and sign-ups sometime next week. So it's all moving along really wonderfully, mostly thanks to our new member Shirley. Thank you so much for joining today. No, thanks so much for having
2: me. So I'm really excited to be on board with two amazing women whom I look up to. So yeah, nice to meet you all, and yeah, hoping Can to you have a nice time. Tell interview. us a little
0: bit about yourself, because it's the first yeah. time on the show.
2: Definitely. So, hello, my name is Shirley, and I've been in Japan for about four years now. So I started my journey in Japan as a as a full stack engineer. I was just telling JJ what full stack engineer means. I didn't <laughs> know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's not such a common like nomenclature, but. Yeah, it's more like somebody who is doing the front end and the back end of software development. So yeah, I'm supposed to be jack of all trades in that sense. (laughs) But yeah, it's been an amazing journey and kind of just working towards um, sustainability, especially women in tech. That's something I'm really passionate about because yeah, I have expertise and experience in tech and I would love to like get on board as many women as possible. Because, yeah, I've seen in my team, in my previous team as well, I was like one of the very few women in a team of like 30 engineers, right? So and we need more of our own voices in there. So really excited to collaborate and yeah, work on this event. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: and you have some great book recommendations, which we are going to get to in the last 10 minutes of this talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tova, you want to start us out with you were recently in hospital. So it really kind of opened your eyes to the situation in hospitals in Japan right now, right? yeah absolutely so I, i've just come back uh,
1: yesterday from five days in hospital having my gallbladder removed so a very middle-aged problem um and uh i you know we're so fortunate in japan in that the healthcare is accessible it's um you know very very low cost when you pay into your um your national healthcare contributions monthly and stuff so that that side of things was was great. It was all very smooth. The staff were extremely professional, um, knew what they were doing. You know, many things about it were a really positive, <laughs> I suppose, as positive as it can be um, in the ex- the experience I went through. However, it did make me start to think a lot about um, equity in healthcare, care. Um, and even in Japan, where you've got a really advanced, developed country with a really Solid, good healthcare system. There are there are biases in the system. I was recognising that really um, impact the patient's experience there. Um, so just to give you uh, a couple of examples. So from my my personal experience last week, um, just the whole paperwork side of it. There were uh, probably half a forest of you know paper work that i went through so quite apart from the deforestation effect uh impact there there was the the fact that it was very very complicated to go through forms and forms and forms and forms um a lot of very specific vocabulary which as a non native speaker was very challenging um i was lucky that my my japanese husband was there, able to be there um for a lot of the prep stuff but not through the hospital stay he wasn't allowed to visit or anything like that. So it made me realize that for people, um, even for native speakers who perhaps don't have a particularly high level of education, that's going to be challenging immediately, just that the whole complexity of the paperwork. Um, And it struck me as well that a lot of it is very, um, that the processes in the hospital are very, very rigid. And they're there for a reason, to, to make, you know, for safety, uh, to make things happen smoothly. There's a lot of people, obviously, to, to get through the system. Um, but there's no flexibility in that. So that um, if you have slightly different needs or um, if you uh, something doesn't really work well for you, that, that's sort of, sorry, that's the way it is, is generally the answer you're going to get, which is, is very difficult. Um, and... Uh, one sort of, it struck me that it was very, very reactive for the patient's needs. So, for example, when I came round after my operation, after I came round from the anesthetic, I was lying there, obviously it was very uncomfortable once the anesthetic wore off, and I was lying there with my drip in thinking, there must be a painkiller in that, surely, surely, but this is still really hurting, and this is a bit weird. And after several hours of gamaning, um, I said to the nurse when she came in to check, you know, there's a painkiller in this, it's, Um, drip isn't there and she said oh no no would you like some (laughs) painkillers yes I've just had my my, an internal organ removed I'd quite like a painkiller please but until I asked that wasn't offered and I thought how many people would actually speak up and particularly as as the you know the doctors particularly tend to be revered still very much and you wouldn't ever challenge or ask for anything very often here Um, so that was surprising to me and when I spoke to my husband who had the same operation about five years ago he said it was the same for him he, he didn't get anything until he asked and then we had the same issue with the the payment where you know if you um uh, subscribe to uh, sort of a, a local healthcare system um you can get a reduced um fee but you have to ask for it again and, and nobody tells you these things it was only because he knew about it that he was able to proactively ask. And
0: then they said, oh, oh, yes, we There can. was someone on, on Twitter mm-hmm. yesterday uh, talking about his year of hospital bills, and it was over 100000 wow. And he's like, you know, it's, it is reasonable in Japan with insurance, but yeah. it is still a significant amount. Definitely. And only then did other people say, oh, if it's over 100000 you can get this tax off or something so yeah. there are ways to get some of the money back but it's not it's not that yeah. easy to understand it is confusing exactly. especially in a yeah. second language right right and i wonder how many people even in the native
1: language are aware of that and particularly when you think of like I say, maybe people who don't have such a high level of education, people who are older and maybe not so aware of changes within the system and things going on, non-native speakers, there are whole sort of groups of um the the society that I think might not be aware that they can ask for these things and might not have the the confidence even if they're aware to to actually speak up and say actually i I would like this, please. Um, so it really struck me that Japan Times, food,
0: but yeah, Japan yeah. Times did a really excellent article at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. uh, talking about how the pandemic has changed Japan's healthcare system, mm-hmm. um, how a lot of nurses are overworked and underpaid. Um, And trying to do the work for the common good, but they need some support as well. Otherwise, they're going to transition to other jobs or move to other countries. Um, So this is in terms of women empowerment as well. There's a lot of inequality uh, due to gender gap kind of pay structures as well. So there's a lot here. Uh, to yeah. unpack and healthcare is one of the fundamentals, we have to think about it, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's something it's very easy to take for granted until you're sort of in the thick of it, and then you, you suddenly find that these flaws are impacting. And actually, Joy, related to what you were just talking about there. Um, so, last week, uh, I attended a virtual um, event, uh, Nordic Talks, that was looking at. Um, trust and and transparency in digital uh, transformation and nobody left behind on that Um, and we had a speaker you can see there um, from Denmark a speaker from uh, Sweden it was moderated by Yoko Ishikura very high profile um, brilliant moderator here in Japan Um, and Taro Kono the politician was also there and at the beginning of the Covid epidemic he was the the person charged with rolling out um, the, the the covid um, response in Japan coordinating that and the the vaccination response as well and he was talking about how surprised he was when he started doing that that um, systems he was getting a lot of pushback from the medical um, professionals he was working with trying to um, to track who'd been um, Uh, vaccinated for example and it was all done on paper and he was saying well you know we've got to vaccinate everyone in the very large country this is not going to be effective can we you know have a, a digital system for this and there was a lot of pushback and he was very surprised until he dug into the the reasons more for that and found that basically in the hospitals at the moment it's all very um Sort of fragmented the systems. They're using lots of different systems. So, already the doctors, for example, are having to use, I think he said, three different systems um, for different parts of the work that they're doing. So, to put another system on top of that and say you have to input yet more data into another system, you know, is putting a lot of extra work pressure on them at a time that's obviously very stressful and busy. Um, and so we were talking about it, well, they were talking about in that event, the tech and trust in systems and uh, you know how we can um, digitize and modernize the, the particularly the healthcare and the public sector um side of things. And I know Shirley, this is you know something that is is close to your heart, um, getting tech working for society and working for people. So it was really interesting to hear from his um perspective, how that had impacted and, and how surprised he was that you know this was still going on and people were still trying to fill in bits of paper and fax things when digital solutions are available.
0: Yeah. I also heard him say not too long ago that uh, the very logical argument that it really, the COVID situation, doesn't have anything to do with nationality. And inbound, and we just need to have a standard policy regardless of where people are coming from, and put that into action. So it's nice to to hear that kind of logic coming from yeah. policymakers. <laughs> I also heard uh, another news story. Uh, Japan's medical university was in that big scandal a few years ago mm. about not allowing um, this the rightful number of women who yes. passed at higher yeah. scores in, and there was a university test recently, and very clearly more women got in when the scales were more balanced. Um, so very interesting. Uh, changes ahead hopefully yeah. for more diversity and inclusion in the yeah. medical system yeah yeah absolutely Shirley, any comments before we go to the next topic um no
2: i actually totally agree with uh, toa and yeah it's really hard i think to be able to like when we talk about like the difference between equity and equality right mm-hmm. like equality is like just make sure everybody is given the same, (laughs) like the same resources, but that's not how it works in the first stage. Like you guys are saying, it's in the first stage, you have to give them certain extra resources. So they are, so everybody's in the same place. And then you start talking about equality. So, yeah, I think that's, that's something we need in Japan as well. Yeah, no, I
1: totally agree with you, Shelley. I think that's, for me, that's really what the experience last week highlighted, that it's not that we can't have these things, it's there. But if we don't know, you know, if we don't have the additional support to, to be able to make use of things, then uh, it's, it's actually not equal at all. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And if we're, if we're making judgments based on fact and scientific proof, that usually helps a little yes. bit instead of stereotypes and and the status quo, right? Yeah. Um, you had another interesting article, Tova, about the One Young World and how there's a focus on aging population. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yes, so One Young World, which Shirley knows very well, uh, we went to the One Young World Summit together in 2018, Shirley, I think, wasn't it, in The Hague?
2: In the yes. Netherlands.
1: Um, and working on a a gender equality project there. So One Young World is this global summit for um, next generation leaders. It brings together a couple of thousand delegates from all over the world. And for every summit, which is in a different place each year, they have um, plenary challenges, sort of big challenges that are the core themes that the the summit is framed around. And two of them this year, I think, really are so important for Japan. One is around the aging population, which, again, big impact on healthcare there. Um, And looking at How do we stop? What is the title? How do we stop an aging population from becoming an aging crisis? Which is, you know, back to your point about number of nurses and things, Joy. We're going to need more and more going forward. So how is Japan going to deal with that so that you know this doesn't become a a massive crisis? And the other um, plenary session there is around health equity for all, and that means gender, that means um, you know racial equity and every, every part of it. Um, because they had some very interesting statistics, which I think are fairly common knowledge now, um, around the how ethnic minorities, for example, were impacted much more severely by COVID. Death rates were much higher. Severe cases were much higher, even when they came from seemingly... Um, equal sort of social status in terms of the background. So really uh, complex issues there that it's great to see that the summit will be focusing on and getting some brilliant young minds um, working on to see what we can come up with.
0: Just on a a side note, uh, yesterday I had a Twitter conversation uh, with Hiroko Yoda about uh, when she had her booster, Mm -hmm. the doctor gave uh, anybody giving a booster one of the little glass vials, which the vaccine is kept in. And so she's reusing it, and he's trying to encourage people to try to find ways to reuse all these glass vials of vaccine once they're cleaned. And I thought that was such a great idea about ways to reuse a lot of the medical waste that's happening, right? I mean, you could crush it down and recycle it, but reusing, such a nice, cute idea. So I think she has a little flower pot next to her uh, little house or animals that she has on display really wow. a really nice idea
1: but well yeah, brilliant i love it because medical waste is another huge issue and there's been a, a lot of press coverage i think about that particularly with covid and all the the ppe and the plastic waste that's coming out of that so that's something else that we really need to to dig into and tackle yeah
0: absolutely forward. Uh, Shirley, do you want to talk about your book, Crucial Conversations? <laughs> yeah, and sure. Tools for talking when stakes are high. Sounds <laughs> amazing. I like your intro <laughs> to that book.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was one of the most recent books I've read. I think it was the second most recent book I've read. So I've been on like a book haul this year. I really want to get in as many books as possible, but this book really like. Uh, Struck a lot of chords in there because there's so much we don't know about crucial conversations. So, what does a crucial conversation even mean? It's like having a discussion or a dialogue when the stakes are high, when your opinions are varied, when you're not on the same page, and when emotions are running strong. So, this could happen, um, this could happen anywhere, like, this could happen in your work life, this could happen in your personal life with your partner, with your families. So yeah, usually when we are, when we face these crucial conversation, we, um, yeah, we usually do one, one of the three things that is we avoid them or we face them poorly or we face them and handle the handle them well. So how do you understand when like a conversation turns crucial and how can you get it back to dialogue? rather than it being an argument or something that you cannot come to a conclusion on. So like something I learned from the book is always try to first make a safe space. So the key is to not let your opinions come out first. The key is to first bring safety in the conversation. So in that case, first what you need to do is just find mutual purpose. Because usually, even though your opinions are varied, your purpose that you want to achieve is kind of mutual. So if there has to be one small mutual purpose that both of you are working towards. So kind of bringing that mutual purpose in mind first and making it safe to talk about almost anything. And then you go towards more like, you know, having more of a dialogue in a normal tone rather than, you know, uh, just trying to speak so that the other person can listen but even like active listening. Because active listening in, in many like senses just makes it very safe for the other person to just share what they feel. And instead of like attacking a person and saying that your ideas are different, you can just use and instead of using but. So mm-hmm. instead of saying that, uh, I like this but, you could just go on, I like this idea. It's really nice how about we add this, you know? Even though your idea is very different or like contradictory, having that change from but to and makes such a big difference in like creating safe space and kind of making sure that both of you are actually moving to the same like purpose. So I think that's something that was really interesting when I read that book. And yeah, it's difficult to get into it like in real conversations, but Just making sure that, you know, kind of just find a safe space first and then go on from that mutual purpose, you know, conversation kind of just brings, yeah, everything in a more peaceful
0: (laughs) state. I I love that. I love that idea, right, of finding common ground and building from the points you agree with and offering ideas for how uh, you could add to the conversation instead of just saying, I disagree with that. Like that's that's a conversation stopper right there, right? Yes. Koba, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so,
1: anything to add? No, I, I think this is fascinating actually. And it's a topic that I do actually talk about a lot in my work context. So as mm-hmm. Shirley knows, I've you know, done, work with her company now for many years and this is one of the uh the the core topics we look at is how do people handle disagreement basically in conflict within teams within projects or departments or whatever um and exactly as you say it's about recognizing that it's not necessarily there's a right and a wrong but there are different opinions respecting those listening them um and and valuing that difference as well because you know if we are all immediately thinking the same thing there's the danger that if that's not right what's going to happen and then when the outside environment changes we're not resilient to change if we're only sort of all going along the same path so when you have all these different diverse perspectives and opinions in the room that is a really really powerful thing if you're able to work with it and that requires this ability to understand okay how do we get from you know, very, very different ends of the scale here, focusing on um, why are we trying to do this? What are we trying to do together? How can we um, perhaps you know, create a, a new, a new uh, sort of way forward, a new culture in a, an organization, for example, a new um, way of working in a team so that it's not one person having to give up their way completely and adapt to the other side it's about saying okay well we co-create something new together that's comfortable for everybody but that takes skill and and practice it's not an easy thing to do like you say Shirley and um, and I think you can expand this out to societal level to you know globally as well Um, one of another of the plenary uh, topics this year for the One Young World um, Summit is peace how can we find peace you know we've got so many conflicts going on around the world at the moment. Um, how do you find a way forward through dialogue rather than violence? So this is a really, really important topic.
0: Absolutely, and it. it- it goes perfectly with uh something that i wanted to talk about today so i I had the chance to talk with author and uh very knowledgeable remodeler around japan for the last 50 years alex kerr about his remodel projects all around japan but starting with in the middle of shikoku island in the middle of japan in the Misty Mountains where one of the many rural communities was dying out. And his idea to take these old homes that have such long heritage and important for Japanese history and heritage, but make it comfortable, Mm -hmm. bring it into the modern age. And uh, in the beginning of March, I have a follow-up talk with Asby Brown who wrote a book called Just Enough, which is now available for pre-order, the new uh, paperback version. And his whole book written years ago is about how examples from the Edo Jidai, way back in Japan's past, are actually really relevant and useful now as we're trying to find more sustainable solutions. So both Alex Kerr's ideas about bringing old ideas into the modern age and making it relevant and comfortable for modern people and then talking again to Asby Brown and bringing these old tried-and-true ideas from the Edo Jidai, which have relevance now, it's just so exciting to, I think, look back and find solutions in this way.
1: Yeah, very much, very much. And again, there's that balance of it's... You know, neither is perfect. The old ways had their flaws as well. The new ways have plenty of issues. But if we can combine the best of both to find a, a new way forward, then that's that's, you know, really something to work towards, I think.
0: And, and really exciting, I think, because yeah. a lot of people just assume the new ways are better. Uh, yeah. This is this is the way we do it now. That old way is broken. Mm-hmm. But to find ways that we can use that great idea and make it make it work for what we need now. I think that we have a lot of solutions that way, right? Yeah, very much. Now, Shirley, you had another book. Let's talk about your next book. What If? (laughs) Sure. This actually, this book
2: is amazing in the sense that it has a lot of hypothetical questions, which you might ask, but it's written by uh, Randall Munro. So he's like, He has a PhD, I think. So there are like absurd hypothetical questions, but the answers are really scientific. So the questions could be like, what if the sun suddenly stopped pumping out its light and energy? What's going to happen? You know, like these are the questions that out of curiosity people think, but they never really, really think about it or come to a conclusion. There was one interesting question is that. What happens if we um, basically quarantine every single person on this earth? So is it for two weeks, is it possible to eliminate the common cold? Like every single person would be like at two meters apart, they will have their own small room and there's no connection between any two individuals. So like within that quarantine period when the virus like dies out, is it still possible to like completely eliminate common cold? So basically, like it was like a three page summary of a very like scientific answer to that, which was so interesting. But basically, the conclusion was that's not possible because <laughs> everybody has different like immunity responses. It's same with COVID. Right. Because yeah, I heard that there's a person in some country, I, I forgot, but he is suffering from leukemia. And for the past one year, like he uh, got COVID. A year ago, but he's still test positive because his body just cannot fight it. So there is gonna be some people that are immunocompromised in which either the virus is gonna remain or mutate. So it's that's just like the reality that it's not going anywhere, you know? So this book was written like many years ago before COVID was even a thing. So he wrote about common cold, but it's very interesting that you can like have the relationship between okay how does it impact our current situation that's COVID you know so lots of questions lots of interesting answers I think it would be nice for you know even teenagers or kids to read it so yeah I recommend Mm -hmm. that book
0: yeah I love that asking questions we need to keep asking questions and searching for answers and don't just trust one source especially if it's maybe just from a friend or something always check (laughs) and double check and triple check and then see if it is actually true for you as you see it at work in the real world i think there's another way to check information right true yeah Yeah. and this also i mean it what you're describing there shirley in the book
1: is is very much scenario planning as well that companies Mm. often don't do enough of to to Mm. think about i mean some companies are very good about doing that. What if this happens? What if our key market is suddenly no longer, you know, available? What if uh, this supply uh, chain, you know, this raw material is suddenly not available? What happens then? Um, And looking at, really what would we do in that situation and even if it seems really crazy and you know this is never going to happen just going through that exercise sort of builds that resilience muscle so that when things do come out of nowhere like covid (laughs) um you're, you're much much better prepared to deal with that and say okay well you know we we have this basic understanding of how our company reacts under stress how we respond to that how we you know message things internally externally in a crisis situation i think that's so important to go through that kind of exercise and then train your brain to, to learn how to approach it absolutely
0: thanks so much shirley thank you tova thank you thank you
1: fun, as always see you next week everyone
0: see you next week you. have a great have a great day everyone take care you. bye, bye.
2: Show my tears to you. I'm stronger. I drop the arm.